Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. So we want to thank HEV for making today's podcast possible. HEV makes it a priority to get involved and make a difference in the lives of friends and neighbors. HEB Operation Appreciation is a company-wide campaign created to honor the brave men and women of the U.S. Armed Forces, men and women who are HEB partners and customers, friends, and family. Operation Appreciation partners with organizations like us, the Military Child Education Coalition that supports U.S. troops and their families. In contributing time, talent, and financial support, HEB recognizes and appreciates the dedication and sacrifices service members make on behalf of the nation. So for our listeners in Texas, check out one of your neighborhood HEB grocery stores. And HEB, thank you for sponsoring this podcast for the sake of the child. Welcome everyone to our podcast for the sake of the child. My name is Tara Gleason and I am the producer. Today's podcast is a little bit different than some of ours in the past. And I would say this is one of our most impactful podcasts that we've produced and published out of 125 episodes to date. Really today we get to truly listen in to a conversation between Susan and Amanda that they had after one of our other podcast recordings. And Susan and Amanda are longtime friends and uh, one of those funny army life things. I've also been friends with Amanda back when we were together back in Colorado Springs. So it's interesting how sometimes those paths cross. I want to express my deep gratitude for Amanda and for Chris for their willingness to come on and share their story with us today. I feel like this is steps in breaking down some of the stigma and actually sharing some of the journey that one might go through as a spouse with a service member who has a TBI or PTSD. So again, I can't thank you enough for your transparency and your willingness to share this with all of us and our listeners. I've been approached about doing a podcast on TBIs and PTSD. How comfortable would you be talking about that? I think I could do it. I did a live video where I shared kind of where we are, like what I shared a lot of how I had no idea what was even going on when it comes to the PTSD and then not realizing that the TBI symptoms were exasperating his PTSD. The two combined were like just a tornado or maybe, I don't know, a hurricane. If that, you know, just, which is really right. awful when you combine the both. So what was you, like that, what, what was the tipping point? Like kind of what sort of culminated that you're like, hey, something, something's going on here? Well, I started seeing some things throughout this. So this was last summer. So about, you know, right. I started seeing things. So we're talking he got home in November. It's like but he had just come back from a deployment, right? He had come back from a deployment, right? And um, he'd had a couple of concussions right. prior to this deployment. And then while he was on the deployment, he was surrounded by a lot of mortar fire. 
that was happening uh-huh. nonstop. And he did exposure reports for the guys that were shooting off the mortars, like because they were doing it all day long, and it was I mean it was like a mini earthquake the whole time. So he wrote, as a physician assistant, he wrote exposure notes for all of them, but didn't think about himself. And at the time, didn't realize that the vertigo, the dizziness, the, you know, he thought he was dehydrated, like the constant migraine, that all of this was a result of the TBI injuries he'd already had. The vibrations were causing everything to come back. And that, he didn't make that connection, though. For almost a whole other year, he went over, once he transitioned into the WTU, he went over to the TBI clinic to get evaluated and the doctor, and he's just kind of like, I'm going to go, but what do you, you know, kind of like, what are you going to tell me that I don't even know? But when the guy was asking him questions, he asked him, have you been around any explosions? And that was when it was like, uh, yeah. So I spent, I don't know, however long he was there in that location, just surrounded by constant explosions. And um, all of that triggered these long-term effects that will, la- that will be with him mostly like the rest of his life now because he's had so many concussions and he never fully healed in between the last several that he now will have permanent kind of side effects. I was just going to ask, so he came home in November from the deployment, and he was right. suffering he from the vertigo, the dizzy, dizziness, migraine, and so that made him go see the TBI specialist to get a No, 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 no. He was really in denial for a really long time, like didn't know. So he only had, the, it only, he, he felt like he was kind of, he felt like maybe he was making this up because it only bothered him when he was looking at the computer screen. That's when he would get. That's when the vertigo went on. Would hit when he was scanning across the computer. But he was having double vision and all of that other stuff. So he was having double vision, and and then he would try and go to do his administrative work, and he couldn't do it because he couldn't go back and forth. And he was having. He was becoming very forgetful, like more so than the normal forgetfulness. Like just constantly, he couldn't remember a lot of short-term stuff. That was becoming a problem. He went to his psychologist that worked down the hall from him because he was starting to feel kind of depressed because he was also having nightmares now. So he started having nightmares because he wasn't sleeping well, and the nightmares were over were from the PTSD that had really kind of started back in like 2005, maybe 2003. I don't early on, like you know, early on in his deployment to Iraq and different things like that. But he kind of never had a time, never had time to process anything because they were on such a high, like a fast pace, you know, of all these deployments that things that had happened never were processed. They were just pushed down and moved forward. And he went from an infantry officer to a physician assistant. And so now we have PTSD from shooting people, and we have, now we have, and we have PTSD from not being able to save people, innocent people who shouldn't be dead. And all of that, along with I, the TBIs, kind of just pulled the rear of their ugly head. So he started to, you know, I started noticing that he wasn't, he wasn't, like, getting out of bed 
on time or, or just being motivated to do much of anything. It was just a lack of drive and motivation. And it was honestly like affecting me in the sense that I was like, why are you being so lazy? Like, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you getting up? Why are you, it was, you know, I was trying to really be bitter about this because I'm like, I hear you doing it all and I need your help. And you're not doing anything, but he wouldn't talk to me. I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't, and I, because I didn't know what was going on, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't even be quiet and just have more grace towards him. Because I. Sounds like he wasn't exhibiting like symptoms. Like if he had cancer, it it was very, it would be something visible. So, yeah. Right, right, right. It was very internal. Like you, if you knew Chris and you saw him, he appeared to be a very normal person. It wasn't until he went to his, his um, he started seeing the local, the psychologist in his workplace that he noticed, he knew that things weren't right. And so he had Chris fill out a special form to go to a location in Tampa as a VA hospital that specializes in, uh, it's called the, it's a polytrauma unit. And they specialize in, with soldiers who have experienced TBI plus something else. It's a safe place for them to talk about their experiences. Three months after right. he got yeah. back? Yeah. Okay. Yep. He went to his commanding officer and he's and him and the and the psychologist and said, We need to send Chris to Tampa because we he needs to heal. He needs to get healed. Because the team, you know, the combination of the TBI and the PTSD are really severe. And I know you can't see it from the outside but internally, he's fighting a battle, and his commanding officers told Chris, "No, basically, I need you here. As I need you here as a senior PA, you need to stay here. I don't believe I don't believe in this stuff. I don't think that this is really what's going on. I just think you don't want to do your job." Wow. That's, yes, that's and he's a doctor. So and how did you and Chris so then, handle this? Well, I didn't know still. Okay. This is January, so I don't know. I just know that he's struggling. I can start to see or sense. And then I'm starting to question if it's our marriage because we're getting into these crazy, like he's flipping out over stuff that, like, I mean, like something super, super, like, I could say, he could say, I could say something like, I don't like the color purple. And he would lose his mind. Like, it was stuff that I was like, whoa, that's, a, that's really overreactive for what I said. I didn't, I didn't know why. And then I said, maybe we're just not, maybe, maybe we aren't communicating well. Like, maybe there's something going on with us. And we weren't. I mean, honestly, we weren't communicating well. And that's still a struggle. Because I think of all the strain of everything that was happening during this time, you know, you almost start putting up a wall because you're like, I, I don't know what to say to him because every time I say something, he overreacts and he loses it. Like, I can't say anything. I can't say I disagree about anything because he's going to get upset. And so that was going on all of the spring for the most part. And, and just within there was like, I just felt like there was just, again, like the forgetfulness and the different things. And then, he mentioned that he was feeling a little depressed, so he was taking some medication for that. And I don't know if he had mentioned that he was having nightmares at the time, 
Um, and all I know is that we went to we went out of town in the summer, and that's kind of when everything hit, hit like at work kind of hit the fan. And it was mostly because he was having a difficult time inputting things into the computer because every time he put the computer, he would get vertigo and, and migraines and dizziness. But when he was at home and he was on his phone, it didn't bother him. So he kind of felt like a fraud. He's like, well, I don't understand. When I'm looking at, like, reading an article on my phone, I don't feel this way. But when I sit at my computer, and when we, when we ended up getting him, you know, treatment in Tampa, it was the scanning that was causing him the problem because of the TBI injury. He wasn't able to scan with his eyes without causing the dizziness. Um, so anyway, so there were some things that happened where work finally realized that he just wasn't functioning at the level that he needed to be functioning at. And suggested, finally agreed to send him to go to Tampa to get the treatment that he needed. And at that point, I still didn't really understand the whole, I didn't understand, I guess, the, the magnitude like the deg- of the situation. The, the degree um, that he was struggling? Right. I had no idea. And then I, I didn't, there was a moment before he left, there was, cause he didn't go, it, it took a little while to get the paperwork and everything started away so that he could get down to Tampa. Um, mm-hmm. But the, I guess, the staff sergeant or whoever was in charge of him, like once he transitioned into the new the warrior transition unit, would call in the morning and would call in the evening every day. And I was like, one day I just was why does this person call you every morning and every evening? Like I don't I don't understand. And he goes, It's because they need to check on me. And I was like, What do you mean they need to check on you? Well, I'm on the list, they need to check on me every day to make sure that you know, I'm not, he was a suicide risk. And I had no idea that he was a suicide risk. My own husband. And so I feel like it's Which is, un... Yeah. Yeah, like you just... So scary and unbelievable because I, right. I know a lot of times just, these problems, you feel like you internalize it. Like you feel like it's a relationship problem. Like you feel like, how am I right. perpetuating this? Right, right. And so thankfully... When he got to Tampa, they do an entire workup, head to toe, everything is done. And they have really good doctors down there. And one of the doctors handled all the medications. And um, one of the medications that he was on can cause you to have negative thoughts. And he felt like, he wasn't like he would, he wasn't wanting to kill himself, but that medication was bringing him down to have those thoughts. So that once that was removed, he was fine. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know either. Like I just that's kind of what Chris shared with me. And um, while they were there, they do an intensive therapy with the patients that are dealing with PTSD, where basically they peel apart the layers of an onion. I mean, that's how you can visualize it. To get to the root problem, 
the root not problem, but the root, the trigger that caused all of this, that caused every because everybody has post traumatic stress. Most soldiers do, right? But it's not a disorder. Like it's not dis- it's not disordered. It's just stress, and they handle it and they move forward, right? Like they they can process it. Their brain work, can process it. But every once in a while, you have soldiers who don't process it properly, and there's usually some sort of underlying reason why it's not being processed. So Chris has a, had a pretty complex form of it, and a lot of it stems to things that happened to him as a child that he never, ever really shared about. Um, and honestly, he'd only shared one time with me in a very brief setting. Um, and that was many, many, many years ago. So it wasn't even something that was in the forefront of my mind to what would have been causing him to feel the thing that he was feeling. And, and the incident that happened basically gave him this desire to have to protect and save children. And there were a couple last, there were several, there were like three different episodes over the last, since 2003, where he was unable to save children. And he took it upon himself that he, one in one incident, he felt as if he, it was his fault and that he was evil for what happened. And it was more of like he was given orders to attack a, a, what do you, like, some, it was a target, right? And you need to fire upon this target. And then after the orders, and it was him and a few others, after the orders were given, they were then informed, like, oh, we didn't realize that there were moms and children inside. Yeah, that's a, that's a com- that's a commonality. I mean that right. the it, missions it, it, that are that people. our soldiers are running that it it unfortunately you can't always target the bad guys and and there's going right. to be casualties right. and and even taking right. out bad guys is, is going to have mental repercussions on them. So right, I mean it, right. it's, it's so fully understanding. Yeah. Most people, a lot of soldiers, are like damn, like. Like, oh, you know, they feel remorseful and they're upset. They, they, but they know it's a nature of the job, right? We, we do what I'm told. It's not my fault. I'm not at fault for this. It's, it's, it's awful that it happened, but I'm not at fault. But Chris didn't, didn't take it that way. Like, he owned it and it aided him forever. And he actually very much considered himself an evil person for what he did even though he knows that was not his fault. And then later sure. on, a few, like on the PA, similar things where, you know, there was a terrorist who drove a car into a crowd of people. And in that crowd, there was a young child about the age of one of our children. And, you know, they bring all of the people that are injured to include the terrorist. And he's able to be saved. His injuries aren't that bad. Yet Chris is unable to save the little the child who was run into, yeah, and and so we would have these nightmares about these these little kids' faces, and so and then he just wasn't able to like and there was you know he just wasn't able to play and do things with the kids because every time he did he would feel sick. And so it's spilling over into home life. I mean, besides it was, you guys, yeah. 
Exactly. And him overreacting, I'm sure he overreacted sometimes with the kids. When they went down to Tampa, they basically made them process this information over and over and over and over again and tell it over and tell it over and write it and write it and write it until their brain can reprocess it properly. And a lot of these guys go back to work. Like they're, once they're, they go through the program, maybe they're, they're fixed in a sense, and then they could go back and do their job in the military. Some of these soldiers that are coming in are already retired, but they're coming back as a retired so it is a veteran hospital. And then there's people like my husband who basically was like, and now it's time to get out of the military because he's approaching 22 years. And he's like, okay, let's, let's just go through, let's, let's get fixed first because I, I need to be able to function in society sure. and I need to be able to function with my family. I want to be able to have a job afterwards. So let's, let's fix all of this that's going on and then let him let's retire. And one of the things that's been really awesome is since he came back from Tampa, so he came back at, at Christmas or December, he has continued to have BTC appointments every week for different things with his providers in Tampa. And then there were other things that they were able to transfer to Fort Bragg and have treatment taken care of while he's there. So now, since he's been home since December, basically, his job has been to go to his appointments. And it really varies depending upon how many appointments, what his appointment load is that day, you know, how, what his day is, is, you know, how long his day is. And he's made huge progress. He says he hasn't felt this good in a really long time, and that's physically and mentally. I still feel like we will always, I think, we'll always have some struggles. I think we're always going to, in PTSD, I don't know if it ever fully goes away. I think it'll always be there, but he now has the tools to recognize when it's starting to, to come up and how to manage it. It, it sounds like it's been an amazing journey, and obviously you can see a difference from the summer to now. Honestly, um, once I knew that it wasn't us, then we still have things to work on. I think we have to we now we have to kind of like heal from the things that we were struggling with before, like the time of not knowing what was going on, and kind of just the distance I feel like that we kind of grew apart because we didn't know how to we weren't able to communicate together as a as a husband and a wife due to the symptoms that he was struggling with and I and he being completely clueless as to what's going on pulled us apart them right so every marriage is a work is a work right it it takes work and it takes time to to grow there's going to heal and there's going to be valleys and this is just one of the things that we have to grow through it very well kind of broken us I think that some people, you know, depending upon different marriages, I think it could have broken a marriage. Well, I mean, you hear that That's happening. Far. I mean, it's it, right. it's, um, it's not necessarily you know, the reason, but certainly because, like you said, all marriages have areas that they need to improve upon. But thanks, I guess in some ways, thankfully you guys were able to identify this. I know, I don't know. I, mean, I don't want to, I don't want to bring things into this, but we also strongly believe that it's, we have to grow through this. Even, you know, no matter what, like, we just weren't going to, we couldn't just walk away and say, you know, let's just Well, and and your faith is a big part of who you are, so. Right, and I think that if we hadn't been strong in that, like, if we didn't have that belief, 
I do think that we could have very well said, I could have been like, I don't know what's going on with you right now, but this is the way I want to live. And honestly, that would have been the worst decision for him on my part because he, right at that moment when he was struggling the most is when he needed me the most. Sure. A lot of times when they need you the most is when they're pushing you the furthest away. And so that's yeah. when you don't always realize that. So I'm kind of curious, though, like, how did you – did you tell the kids about what Chris was struggling? Did you uh, kind of pull them into the equation, still kind of too young to understand? Like, how did – I mean, how did you handle that? Because obviously, you know, really Michael's old enough to know something's wrong. Right. So we've only really talked about the TBI side of things. You okay. know, um, we haven't really addressed uh, – talked much about the PTSD we just mostly focused on, because those were the outward symptoms of the boys. I mean, I, I think the anger and that kind of stuff was coming from PTSD, but it was also coming from the fact that he felt like crap, right? He's right. nauseous and, and double vision and he's got a headache. And so he's obviously going to be a little more irritable. We, you know, the boys knew he was down there because he was suffering from these different, these TBI injuries. And I don't... Okay. Well, so we didn't really mean in quick small conversation. We talked a little bit about like maybe just the things that Daddy has seen and experienced when he was on deployment. They, you know, they can be scary and um, have they have Daddy, you know, have nightmares just like you would if you saw something scary or something bad happened to you. And so sure. while he was down in Tampa, we were able to he was able to talk about that with and get you know and talk through the scary stuff that he saw. But mostly it was just the fact that, you know, they know that he wears prison glasses and they've seen him. They've, they've been around during his video teleconferences. They saw the hospital. Like, we took him to, to where Daddy was staying when we went down there in, in Tampa, went to Tampa and over Thanksgiving. They were very much aware, especially the older boys, that he was there because he needed to get help, that he needed to get better, that he was sick. You know, he had the, the double vision and that kind of stuff, and he needed to get better. Right, not going into necessarily the depth, but I think, I think it was smart on your part to acknowledge some of the challenges Chris was having. You know, the vertigo, the dizziness, not feeling well. So Daddy is, you know, maybe a little more grumpy. It's not necessarily a visible injury, but kind of partnering yeah. them with this. I mean, you know, keeping them connected into what's going on and showing them, hey, this is where Daddy's going. I think it's kind of a twofold. A, they're not having to make up stuff. Because a lot of times right. kids will do that if they don't know what's going on, and usually it's worse. And B, I yeah. think you guys are setting a good example of, hey, everybody needs to get help. There's courage yeah. in asking for help. And so I think there that's is. a great, great lesson that you guys were teaching, the, you know, especially the older boys. Right. And I think one of the things that, like, I, that kind of not frustrated me or just, like, was where I was, like, kind of taken aback was the fact that, there is not enough awareness or training or seminars or I don't even know what to what to call it, but for families who to be able to recognize what might be going on. Like I feel like if I had known in last January, like in 2018, like January, February timeline, if I had known that the symptoms I was starting to see were not the fact that we were having trouble with our marriage, but more the fact that maybe he was struggling with something deeper, like maybe PTSD because it's from his multiple deployments, that I would have been able to, like, 
relate to him better. But I had no idea. I didn't know it until I saw, like, I read a pamphlet on it that he shared with me, Hmm. that this is what I'm dealing with. Like, he couldn't even talk to me about it. It was more of, like, this is what I'm dealing with. This is why they they keep calling me every day. Here's here's some things to read, kind of. And it was, like, sent to me via text. Right. Right. You know, well, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'm thankful they're treating, they're they're treating our soldiers. You know, now they're finally starting to take this more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Chris's first attempt was, unfor- you know, unfortunate that they right, they right. declined it, it. but it doesn't sound like they're necess- they're they're treating the soldier. And a lot of times, you need to treat the whole family because the whole family is affected. Yeah. So it sounds to me like, yeah. if anything, you'd recommend them having some sort of training for families to either right. to understand the process, to, to get a better idea on the symptoms, and e- I'm guessing even just to partner with them in the process of, of treatment. Well, and, and they do too. actually do partner with us during the process. Okay. So we did have a couple, like, over like, video teleconf, like, a, like video phone calls, like three- or four-way phone right. calls, where Chris was there, and then, like, his occupational therapist would come in and, like, Another therapist would come in, and then we would all be on a conversation, and I would talk about some of the things that I was seeing and feeling, and then we would kind of talk about it, and then there were, there were worksheets that we had to fill out, kind of marriage therapy, kind of marriage worksheets, um, to, like with homework that we had to, we were working through. And they were very helpful, and we need to kind of revisit those. Like those are things that I feel like are tools that we need to sit down, and it was in some ways easier when he was in Tampa because we weren't both distracted. Like he was there and I was there and we could kind of do it. Like we could kind of talk about it maybe after the kids went to bed. When we got, when he got back home, we just had a lot of, a lot of distractions. I mean, we're just, you know, in it with our kids all the time. And so it's a little bit harder to keep connecting. And. Oh, sure. I think that's a, I think that's that's a common challenge for every couple, but then you add, these additional evolving issues, you know, like PTSD and a TBI, that 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 just even adds another layer to making sure that you are connecting, whether you're making sure you have, you know, date night on a regular basis or just, you know, making time for each other. I mean, I think it's super important, but, you know, as a, as a friend, I have to, I feel like I need to apologize. Like I had no idea you and Chris were going through this. I think it's hard to, to talk about and I think it depends on the person it's becoming it's I think for me I tried to I wanted to share it you know I wanted to share I wanted to be part of my story like it's our story it's right. part of the things that we've struggled with right but then how like we had you know who do we need to protect from the story like well, I think a lot of times, like, you look at, like, if Chris had cancer, there would be a support group for Chris. There would be, right. yeah. um, you know, the community, we'd be pouring into you guys as a family. And so it just right. breaks my heart that you guys went through this struggle alone, you know, that you didn't feel like you could share it. Do you think that's, yeah. like, the stigmatism that's still there? Or, I mean, why do you think that I is? Think because we're afraid, in all, you know, in and now Chris is he's he's more comfortable with like me. I think at the time too he didn't want he also didn't know how to like deal with it like being known. Right? Because I think there is a really negative stigma. Like when you say mm-hmm. I have PTSD, people like 
think you have something wrong with you, like that you are mentally unstable or unfit to do to live life. I think that that's a that oh my gosh, he's going to commit suicide right now because he has PTSD. Mm-hmm. Or I, th- I think there's a there's a stigma in that you're not a good soldier because you have PTSD. Yes, right. Like oh, you couldn't handle the stress of being a soldier. And so I think right. that's why a lot don't share it because they right. are concerned and about then, their careers. They are concerned right. about the perception of being able to do and a that, good job. Right, right, right. And at first, you know, I mean, basically it was a, I wouldn't say it was a career under for Chris. I mean, we were kind of looking towards we knew we retiring soon. But he left a spot where he was, in, for the most part, excited to be there, right, and mm-hmm. was sent to the WTU. We no longer need right. you here. You're no longer needed or able to do your job here, so you need to go to the WTU. And at first, there was a lot of, like, kind of just resentment. Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you. You're supposed to be there for us. You're supposed to support us doing this. And you're sending me to the WTU? But then right. once we were there, the pressure of his job went away. There was a lot of pressure where he was. And um, a lot of expectations and a lot of extra jobs that he just couldn't manage, honestly, you know, just because of the things that he was dealing with. So once he got to the WTU and he kind of accepted that that's where he was going to be, it was just a lot easier. He could actually focus on him. And if he hadn't been there, he would never have been able to have the time to focus on him getting better. So it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. It really, truly was. And honestly, I can't, as much as we want to, like, we can talk bad about the military, we can talk bad about, like, healthcare systems and not getting the treatment we need or or whatever you want. What job is going to send you away for three months to get treated for injuries and pay you your normal pay and then bring you back and continue your treatment while they process your paperwork so that you can medically retire without ever no, needing to do the job that you are intended, you are supposed to be doing. That's an excellent point. That's definitely something right? that can There aren't. There are no jobs that do that. None. We would have been in so much, like, financial debt right now if Chris had spent the last year, if he had been in a traditional workplace and had spent the last year trying to get treated for PTSD, and TBI symptoms, we wouldn't have been able to afford it. Well, in some ways, then it turned out to be a blessing that this all came to a head while you were still in the military because – Oh, it did. Totally. It, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of soldiers that experience these things or are feeling these things that are, again, too afraid to speak up and say, this is what's going on. And they don't know, like – but there are there are resources available and there are ways to get help and that you have to look long term and like we talked about earlier, like you have to look at your family and you have to think, okay, you have to think past the now and you have to look into the future and think like what is going to happen to me in the next what if in ten years I'm not able to function anymore because I right. didn't get the treatment I needed. Because I pushed and pushed and pushed all of this stuff down because I never wanted to process it ever again. And so then all of a sudden it rears its ugly head at a time that's the least convenient for you and your family and you have nobody to support you. 
but it's a matter of just being in a situation where you've got to, you've got, they have to recognize it. And I, I'm thankful that, you know, Chris was in a location where he had to walk two doors down to the psychologist. Well, accessibility is huge. So making sure that that, right. that is available for everyone is right. Right. is and definitely. And I know the military has made great strides, and now they have Implex embedded into units, and right. you know more mental health resources available. But I think it still comes yeah. back to the advice and of people sharing their story and hearing, hey, this is worth it in the end. I mean, this job that you're doing is only temporary, but your yeah. health is forever. So. Right. take care of it now because and, you may not, not have the opportunity to address it later. Right, right, because and to know that, like, it's not a walk of shame. I don't, I feel like sometimes there's a, uh, there's also a stigma with, like, getting, like, like medically retiring with, like, a disability. I think mm-hmm. there's a stigma, like, right? Like, or, or if it's not an outward disability, you don't believe that you actually have one, right? Like, it's not, like, if I'm not loss of limb or something of that sort, then I don't deserve to have medical disability because it's not a real disability, but it is a real disability and it really affects you and your lifestyle and your quality of, you know, your quality of life and your ability to, to do a job and to, your ability to be able to continue to provide for your family down the road. And if it's not addressed while you're still in the military, it's a much harder battle to fight once you've retired. And, and so kind of just saying like, you know what? I gave the military X number of years. I worked really, really hard, and I, I'm kind of screwed up. Like, I need some help. Like, my head is not where it needs to be. I'm going to go get help because I know I need to think of my future long term. Right. Absolutely. Maybe you don't I even think, think you're, you know, maybe, you know, I just think that it's the long term. Like, I look at what we have right now, and we have four boys, and my youngest is three, and Chris is getting ready to retire. So we still have 20 years. Of, of like or not even like maybe 17 years of raising a kid right we got to get totally not 20 right until he's kind of like independent adult we hope by Anything 20 can happen in those 20 years yeah absolutely i think you you touched upon it and just you know i don't i don't know how you get past the stigma other than more people just kind of sharing their experiences and people going oh right. you know what i knew that person and i think they're a stand-up person and the right. fact that they shared this and came through and they still have a successful future, it's not always about just that one job you're doing. It's about, like I said, I it's about the future. It's about your future. So hearing yeah. more people talk about it maybe will yeah. help kind of diminish some of the stigma, too, you know, that yeah. goes with it. I know. So, it's really hard. Yeah. And that's why I said it's, I think Chris is being very courageous. If you knew somebody else was going through this, would you not want to come alongside them and try to give them support and try to yes, build them I up? I think I would. I think I would. And I think by, by sharing, by, by coming out now on the other side and maybe seeing, like, like understanding more about it, I think I'd be right. more comfortable sharing kind of what we did for that purpose. Like, so if somebody is, who, somebody is also going through that and they need somebody to talk to, then I can help maybe be that person. Right. But I didn't know. And I think but that's more even important to realize that you need to turn into people to help kind of walk alongside you. I tell you again, I, like, I think you guys have an incredible story. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. 
Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.